Just a note, folks, today, December 24th, 2020, will be the last flash briefing on Alexa. Alexa only. The Bongino brief will be moving to my regular podcast feed due to its popularity. It'll be available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, be available every Saturday, wherever you get your podcasts, including at Bongino.com. Thank you. Dan Bongino. Welcome to the Bongino Brief. I'm Dan Bongino. So, very serious topic. Some congressional leaders met with President Trump at the White House yesterday. They plan on contesting what's going to happen on January 6th. What happens on January 6th? Why does it matter to you? I'll get to it. Let me just get to this headline. Jack Phillips at the Epic Times. Read the piece. Be in the show notes today. Mark Meadows, President Trump's chief of staff. Trump met with several congressional members on fraud, and they, quote, will fight back. What does that mean? Well, let's dig into the piece and find out. One member of the Senate and one member of the House are needed to challenge a state's electoral college votes. No senator has definitely confirmed they would challenge the electoral college votes. This readout happens on January 6th, an important date, folks. Although Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville in Alabama and Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky have both suggested they may join House member Mo Brooks and other GOP House representatives. What does this mean? Very simply, on January 6th, there is a reading in the House of the presidential electors and their votes. 50 states have confirmed those slates of electors. Some states or or the Republican Party have sent uh, an, an alternate slate but the states have confirmed their electors. Those will be read out up on Capitol Hill. There is a process, though. A House member can object to that slate of electors. Say say Florida has 29 electors. They're going to go for President Trump because President Trump won Florida. Those 29 electors have signed ballots, have signed their their presidential elector statements. They're going to Someone can challenge that can challenge the slate of electors. Now, just to be clear, Joe, if I'm not explaining this well, you know, it's your obligation to stop me. A House member can object, but in order for that objection to be formally lodged, a senator from a senator has to do it too. So they need a House member and a Senate member. All right. Okay, what happens then? Mm -hmm. Well, let's go to the National Constitution Center, constitutioncenter.org, and here is it, what happens. Objections to individual state returns must be made in writing by at least one member of the Senate, as I just said, and House of Representatives. Both. You can't have one. It's not an either or. It's both. If an objection to that slate of electors meets these requirements, the joint session recesses and the two houses, the House and the Senate, separate, debate the question in their chambers for a maximum of two hours. The two houses then vote separately to accept or reject the objection. They then reassemble in joint session and announce the results of their respective votes. An objection to a state's electoral vote must be approved by both houses in order for any contested votes to be excluded. Folks, this is where the probability part comes in, which I owe to you. I don't owe you any dishonesty for the sake of effect. No matter who gets up and objects to a state, say Michigan, where we, we, there was fraud. Was there enough fraud to overturn the state's electoral vote? We don't know that, but there was unquestionably fraud in Michigan. So say a House member and a Senate member uh, object to those state electors and say, no, even though they went to Biden, the states confirmed it, we're objecting. That's great. And I think that fight should continue. But what happens, Joe? 
It gets debated for a maximum of two hours. Two hours, yeah. They have two hours to debate it, and the House and Senate vote on it. Ladies and gentlemen, the House is controlled by Democrats. Nancy Pelosi controls the House. They are not going to agree to that. That's not giving up. That's not conceding anything. That's just hard political football. I think the fight continues. I think the fight should continue. I support their efforts to do it. But the hard political reality is unless some Democrats fold, which they won't because they hate this man, they're just going to shut it down. I wish I had better news for you there. But I'm not going to make it up. But the fight does matter. It always matters. More in a minute, but first. Folks, two things that haven't been explained to me about this election cycle and why I'm not, because you may ask, you know, some liberals, fair enough, if you watch my show, you may say, Dan, why are you still refusing to concede this election? Because ladies and gentlemen, I haven't had two electoral abnormalities explained to me in any sufficient way that satisfies my curiosity about the results. Number one, How is it that signature match verification was at some of the lowest points we've seen in modern times, despite the fact that historic numbers of people voted through the mail, where the only verification process was your signature on a ballot? You never showed up and showed an ID at a polling location. You literally signed a ballot, you got in the mail and gave it to your mailman. How is it that in an election where untold historic numbers of people Their only authenticating feature on their ballot was their signature. Historic numbers of people did that. And yet signature matches where they they found a problem with it was at the lowest level in modern history. That doesn't make any sense. More people use signatures to authenticate and less people screwed it up. It doesn't make sense. In an election where more people use mail ballots, you think historic numbers of people would have screwed it up based on statistical data we have from elections past where we know how many people, 1% to 2%, typically screw up a mail ballot. It wasn't 1% to 2%. Some states it was 0.3%. That doesn't make any sense. First time people vote by mail and magically more people succeed at it? Does that make sense to you? That has not been explained to me sufficiently. Second. The roll-off phenomenon, how historic numbers of people in inner cities voted for Joe Biden at the top of the ballot and skipped all of the other races on the ballot. A logical explanation would be some of those votes were probably fraud. Why does that mean fraud, Dan? Because if you're going to vote fraudulently and you need to overcome a big voting deficit, you don't have time to fill out every single ba- every single election on the ballot. You just vote for Biden at the top because that's your primary concern and you mail it in. Historic numbers of people only voted for Biden and never voted on any other election on that ballot. It doesn't make sense, folks. The Democrats are in no eager rush to explain it to anyone. The Dan Bongino Show. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to The Dan Bongino Show wherever you get your podcasts.